You're listening to Boss Ladies and Babies. Are you ready to blab with me? Grab a front row seat as I adventure through motherhood, build my career, and not lose my shit. This podcast is a place for women to come together and relate through the highs and lows of business and motherhood, keep it real, and learn some new business tips and tricks while inspiring each other to do the dang thing. So close your eyes and take a deep breath, mama. You found us. It might not always be pretty, but you can count on one thing. We are in this hot mess together. Welcome back to Boss Ladies and Babies. I'm your host, Megan Gillespie, and here we are, the second episode of 2022, and this week we have a very special guest, and we are talking about a very, very important topic, so I cannot wait for you to hear this episode, but before we get into it, I want to give you a little pregnancy update. So last week on the show, I dropped the bomb that Boss Ladies and Babies is growing and we are expecting another baby in July, which feels far away, but also like six months is really not that far away. So that's happening quickly. Um, I am excited to say that I am almost out of my first trimester. I have just a couple more days of hell, hopefully, and then I will be feeling better. I have this like very unrealistic belief that I'm going to wake up on the first day of my second trimester and magically feel better and like myself again, which I know is not going to happen. And (laughs) I'm already prepared for that. So um, let's just hope second trimester brings me back my energy and my sense of self and and just so many good things. I'm, I'm really hoping for that. I'm having some good days where I'll have like a lot of energy and I won't feel that nauseous and I'll be able to, you know, get all of these things done that I've been wanting to do because I have so much energy. And then I'll have like two days where I'm just completely laid out because I overdid it. Um, And so I'm just looking for at least some like steady energy that I can maintain in a healthy way without doing too much. So looking forward to that in the second trimester. I've got a little bump that's starting to appear that actually is starting to look like a baby bump and not just like I had too many bagels, which is probably also the case because carbs are my best friend right now. Um, But, you know, I'm getting through it. Right now, I am podcasting from my bed with this super handy lap desk that my mom got me for Christmas, which has been a lifesaver. It's like a full-on wooden desk with a drawer and I can do all the things from the comfort of my bed and I've got my fur baby here next to me and you know this is what it's all about ladies you just got to do what you got to do to get it done and I am making it work so that's where we're at with the pregnancy update I'm going to hit you with my highs and lows and then we're going to get into this amazing episode so if you have tuned into my social media or, you know, a new ad that I have running on the show since I've been back from my little hiatus, I have been talking about Boss Ladies and Babies Headquarters, which is the newest thing that I have launched that I have been so excited about. I've been working on this for so long, and it's basically everything that you could need for business and motherhood in one digital space, right? I'm talking education, training, resources, inspiration, accountability, and most importantly, a community of women who understand what you're going through as a mom and a business owner. And so 
Boss Ladies and Babies headquarters, or as I like to call it, Blab HQ, has been a big, big goal on my to-do list for many years. And I cannot believe that it has finally come together. And I took the plunge and created it and put it out there. And people are joining and starting to find the benefits from the community. And it's been amazing. So back to my high. So this last week, we had our first Boss Ladies Babies headquarters call. And so we do two calls each month. One is like an ideation hour where we can brainstorm together, work through ideas together, work through problems together, and just kind of get some work done as a group and like use everybody's collective minds to kind of break through some things. And then the second call is going to be a networking call where we just, you know, find referrals, collabs, get to know each other. So we had our first ideation hour call and It went so great. It was so amazing to just, you know, get face to face on Zoom with these ladies and connect and just really be there. And it, it, you know, it's starting off really small because it's brand new and I'm trying to get the word out. But just to see this starting to come together and to see these women there and showing so much support for my vision and, and, you know, what I'm hoping to create to help other women it just was so beautiful. And I'm so excited that this is happening. So that was a huge, huge high for the week. It just made it so much more real. And I'm so, so excited for what's to come for this space. So that's my high. My low, honestly, it's been, you know, it's been rough around here, right? There's been a lot of lows. (laughs) But I think the hardest thing that happened this week is my sweet, little girl Nora she has you know she's she's seeing me going through all these changes with pregnancy and she's seeing me struggle and you know she's spending a lot of time with her dad because I'm out and sick and you know he's picking up a lot of the slack and she knows what's going on and she knows that I'm not feeling good and she knows that there's a new baby coming and all these things but she looked at me the other day and she said mama I love you even though you're sick And I was like, oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. And she said, I wish you could be normal again. And it just broke my heart so much because, you know, she she knows what's going on, but she doesn't like truly understand. And to hear her say she wishes I could be normal, it just, it was hard. And I wish I could be normal again too. But hopefully, fingers crossed for that second trimester, right? (laughs) All right. So that's been what's going on with me this last week. I'm so excited to be back and sharing and updating with you guys. And so let's get into this episode. So this week on the podcast, we are going to be talking all about BIPOC health disparities, which is a huge topic that I do not think gets enough recognition. People are not talking about this enough. You'll learn so much from this episode that is going to be really eye-opening, and I I was really shocked when I started looking into how many BIPOC health disparities really are present, like, all the time. And so I am joined by such a powerful, such an amazing guest named Rakita. She is a mom of three and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Alaska, And she owns Arise Counseling LLC, where she specializes in perinatal mental health and relationship therapy. We talk a a little bit about perinatal mental health as well on this episode. 
And she's also a BIPOC health equality consultant. So she provides workshops and affinity groups to small and medium-sized organizations looking to reduce the health disparity rates in BIPOC communities by increasing self-awareness and intentional action. Rakita taught me so much just in the short time that we were talking together, and the work that she's doing is so powerful. I hope you really enjoy this episode and have your eyes opened to some of these things that we may not even realize are happening and feel inspired to do what you can to help make a difference. So we will get into this episode right after this quick break. Mamas, I have been working on something just for you, and I want to take some time to tell you about Boss Ladies and Babies Headquarters. Consider this your new personal headquarters. BlabHQ provides you instant guidance and education around all the things it takes to run a business while raising babes. Balance, time management, personal and business identity, business foundation, branding, social media, and so much more. It's time to get bossy and take your business to the next level with accountability, networking and support, and a community full of cheerleaders helping you ditch the side hustle and create the business and life of your dreams. Everything you need right here in one place with a community of people who understand you. I'm currently looking for founding members to join Boss Ladies and Babies Headquarters at a special price of just $27 a month for life. Prices will be going up in February, so if you'd like to get in and see what this is all about, check out the link in the show notes. It's time for this week's Boss Lady Business Spotlight. Meet Mama Bear Bookkeeper. Mama Bear Bookkeeper is an as-needed bookkeeper exclusively for small businesses, entrepreneurs, and startups. She is also available for individuals and their personal finances. In addition to bookkeeping, she offers education services, budgeting, debt organization, monthly meetings, and tax prep and referrals. Enjoy a free 30-minute consultation by mentioning this ad head over to mamabearbookkeeper at gmail.com and let her know you're interested. Website's under construction, but you can be in touch at mamabearbookkeeper at gmail.com. Hello, Rakita, and welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. Hi, thanks for having me, Megan. Yes, of course. I cannot wait to dive in and chat with you and pick your brain and hear all of your amazing insight. But before we get started today, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let the listeners know who you are, what you do, what makes you a boss lady. Tell us all about you. I love that. A boss lady. Chills. So I'm Rakita. I am a licensed professional counselor. I'm also a BIPOC health equity consultant, and that's a lot. And one little term, so BIPOC being um, Black, Indigenous, people of color. And we, for me, I discuss health disparities that are in the communities, especially my community as a Black woman, and the communities that I see located here in Fairbanks, Alaska. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I connected with you on Clubhouse and heard you talking about this, it's just something that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about. I mean, I hadn't really heard much about it. I mean, I hadn't gone out and done research on it. And so I was really excited to hear you speak because it opened up like a whole new world for me. And this research that I started doing to get ready to talk with you today 
And I, I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. How did you get into this line of work? Well, it kind of just fell in my lap. <laughs> so um, I, my niche for therapy is maternal or perinatal, excuse me, mental health, perinatal to include all birthing persons. And in that, um, I was in a trauma course. And um, one, I discovered that a lot of the work that I was doing would be considered um, trauma-informed care, especially because we don't really talk about how um, racial health disparities and racial identities, some of that does come with trauma and trauma-related experiences. So for example, I'm gonna give us a stat here. Black women are three to four times more likely to die from um, a childbirth-related complication than our white counterparts. And for indigenous women, it is same, three to four times more likely. After the age of 30, for black women, that increases to four times more likely to die from a childbirth-related complication. Wow, yeah, I, I can't believe those statistics. And I'm just, let's just start there because that's chilling information. And why, like, why do you think this is happening? And how can we make this stop? Like, obviously, people like you speaking up about it and your line of work, all of the things that you're doing. But I mean, why do you think this is even happening? I think when it comes to perinatal health, we are doing a better job in our generation, but I believe in generations before our ancestral generations, you know, perinatal health was not really something that we talked about, especially the nitty gritty things. Like um, I got into perinatal mental health because I suffered from experienced, excuse me, experienced um, postpartum OCD. I didn't even know I had postpartum OCD until I got into um, more of the work that I do. I thought, oh, this is just postpartum depression. But the thing is, something that happened to me was I was having those intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. And with intrusive thoughts comes that diagnosis of OCD. So I just wanted to get that clear. Um, and so to answer your question, I got into doing the work of why is this a secret? I, why are we not talking about this more? And so I'm seeing that now and my first child is six. And so I'm seeing that happening more and more today. But I definitely, when I first I had my firstborn, I didn't see as much out there. I had to do research and I found um, postpartum, postpartum Support International. And um, that is something that I hold near and dear to my heart, because if it wasn't for me Googling the website, I wouldn't know that this is a thing. Like people, individuals do have postpartum depression and postpartum OCD and what we know as post um, PMADS, which is postpartum uh, mood disorder, anxiety disorders, and the rest of the spectrum that we do cover. So I said a lot. So let me yeah. clear us oh, up a good. little bit. I love what you're saying. Okay. I, I suffer with OCD in general, and I had a ton of like postpartum anxiety and OCD. So I'm just like, yes, yes. I love that you're talking about this. I didn't know that, Megan. Thank you for sharing. You know, I, I knew I had some anxiety, but I did not know that I had the OCD until I went into a training. And then it was so amazing because the trainer was like, I know a lot of us here are just having a moment because we're survivors and you know, we all connected. It was virtual because um, it was two years ago. 
but it just felt like all of us in the room just had a moment. It was beautiful. I love that so much. There's just, there's so many things that come along with childbirth, obviously, like it's a huge thing that happens in your life and all of these things that come after that, like we're saying now, like they're just not talking about and it's, it's scary. You can feel really alone and like something's wrong with you when you have these things happening to you, especially if people aren't talking about it, but then, you know, for the people in the BIPOC communities that are getting less I, I don't know exactly what the, I don't want to say less help, but they're, they're not being represented as well with not only childbirth and the complications that come, but then the things that happen after. I can't imagine how terrifying that must be. Yes. Thank you for getting me back on track. So um, the original question was like, why are we not talking about this and how is this happening? Why are the disparities there? And so for the perinatal aspect of everything, the CDC found that 60% of the deaths that I mentioned earlier were preventable. And they named that we need to do a better job with implicit bias and the things that we have, you know, our thoughts about another person, another person's culture, another person's um, sexual orientation and identity. We sometimes have automatic thoughts and sometimes those thoughts pretty much move us in the direction of being open or closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So how, so how did you get help for your postpartum anxiety or OCD? Um, for me, I knew it was something postpartum. So originally I was in South Korea, another story, and <laughs> I reached out and got, <laughs> I got into tele-mental health before it actually became a thing these days, because this was back in 2015. So I did do my research and I found someone. It was great that I could connect with someone. And I think that's so important. I am myself a telemental health provider. I think it's so important to reach out because a lot of us aren't able to get out there, which is another disparity to name. You named um, earlier how we don't have as much help in that aspect of things. There are a few reasons why. Some of us live in medical deserts which is that we just don't have um, more than maybe a hospital in our town. Um, There's also the fact that only 3% of Black providers are available to us in the United States. That's something else that's important to name. Mm -hmm. And so it was important for me to find someone that looked like me. That doesn't always, that's not always the case. And that's why I'm speaking out about things and um, working through implicit bias because there's just not enough providers of color out there to serve the individuals that need help. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk a little bit more, dive a little bit deeper into that. And as I was doing my research after I heard you speaking and, you know, really getting ready for this conversation with you and learning just so much, even just from like having my eyes open and from these statistics I heard you talking about, I was reading arguments from healthcare providers that, you know, some of these statistics we've been talking about already in this episode, that underlying health conditions and genetics of different races are at fault for these chilling statistics. But I think that it's starting to become more clear that many of these disparities lean more towards maybe known or unknown racism than they do towards race. And I found an article that was done by a Harvard OBGYN saying 
obviously genetically we are all the same and that the evidence is strong that it is in the chronic effect of stress and racism that takes a toll on pregnancy and childbirth and care for a newborn after birth, you know, with all of these mental health issues that can come up and just everything it takes to care for a newborn. And the stress can take place in the medical settings as well, where these unconscious biases can affect the quality of care. And the more research I was doing around this, I just, my heart was just aching because the topic that I was reading about, I was just finding that this unconscious bias in healthcare was a constant theme. And so how much of this do you feel comes from these implicit biases in healthcare? And like, how do you think they can improve this? I mean, this doesn't seem like it's something that should even be happening. Yes. Oh my goodness. You named so much there. So um, your listeners can't see me, but I am a person that lives in a larger body and I have experienced discrimination based on um, what people think I should look like. I mean, I'm not in a body that fits like a European um, size or standard of beauty. And that's important to name too. So maybe, I mean, there's so many ways to go with this. So I'm going to address first when we do have the concept of it's, you know, race or genetics at play, I agree in terms of not all of us will be in the realm of the BMI that was created. BMI is also racist, you know, the body mass index was created based on the, um, the mass of a white man and not of what someone else of a different culture and aspect would be. Mm-hmm. So for those of us listening out there, for more information, there's Hayes, H-A-E-S, which is health at every size. And they dive into the reasons why um, everything is not based on simply just weight, because there is weight discrimination out there. And I did want to name that. And going back to what you were saying, I think um, implicit bias plays a role because when someone walks in, as I've been on many a um, medical beds for the three kids that I have, uh, you walk in and you see a Black woman in a larger body. I always immediately feel unsafe because I need to know if this person, do they have any biases against me? And what am I going to do if someone says something that it's not even offensive, but could be just incorrect? Mm-hmm. And they already have um, an idea about me that is not accurate. And so much of that has been disproven in terms of, in 2016, there was an article saying that medical students still think that Black individuals can't feel pain the same way that white individuals can. And that is not accurate at all. And so we're, we still have work to do in that aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I really am glad that you brought that up because you know, there's so much discomfort going to the doctor anyway. I mean, even for me as a white woman, if I have a doctor that looks like me, I still have, you know, some of those thoughts running through my head. And so just the fact that, you know, people have to feel that way and go in with an idea of, you know, this is what this person is thinking of me solely because that's what has happened in the past is really, really upsetting and just completely heartbreaking. I mean, I'm curious if you know, like, I mean, this has to be known in the healthcare world, right? So what do you think that they need to do to start making the shift in this? I mean, 
Do people just need to keep speaking out about it? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I definitely know it's known in um, my areas in terms of Black women already knowing the stats that are stacked up against us. We are trying our best with, you know, trying to get a doula involved in order to advocate for us. Um, and in the medical world, I would say it takes having self-awareness and knowing where you are. And I know um, a lot of us are like, well, I'm not a racist. And that's understandable, but there's more to it than that. There is a spectrum when it comes to anti-racism work. And that means that we're continuously doing the work. We're continuously checking ourselves and we're continuously reaching out and trying to learn as much as we can about other cultures, other cultures and um, gender identities and all the spectrums that we may not have in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously 2020 was a huge eye opener for people to kind of start doing a little bit more of that. And, you know, that's definitely something that I wanted to talk with you today is how people can kind of do that work. And I feel like this is so sad to say, but since then, it seemed like everybody was so excited to do that work and to talk about this and to do their research. And then it just like wasn't trendy anymore. And so people stopped talking about it. And I know that a really big part of your message is encouraging that anti-racism work. And so let's kind of talk about the difference between anti-racism versus just not being racist and mm-hmm. how, you know, so many people think they're helping and then we'll, we'll get more into like performative allyship in a little bit, but how people think they're helping, but they just, they aren't helping and it's just not enough. Let's kind of dig into that a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to bring up that you as an individual can say that, you know, I'm not a racist, but the systems that are in place still um, were built upon foundations of racism. And that's why we named, or we didn't say the actual name of it that we've been talking about the past 15, 20 minutes, but medical racism is what this is. And that's why um, we have the health disparities that we have. So as an individual, you may not feel like you are contributing to Um, the social structures that are in place, but you are benefiting from them. And honestly, with that being said, you still have to continue to do the work to unlearn the system that you were brought up into. So if you simply are not, you know, reading, reaching out, trying to make friends with different individuals, that's where you stop and you're not in a place of continued growth. And I know it's so difficult with anti-racism work because sometimes it may seem like you're by yourself. Like, yes, everyone was collectively together in 2020 for that summer. And then maybe a few friends dropped off and you felt like you were holding that baton by yourself. And it's so heavy and it's so hard because you feel alone and isolated. And it's already very isolating currently with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But continuing on the journey is where the anti-racism work is at play because you understand that even though it's difficult, it's hard, you're still not giving up because you know in the end we are looking for a better and brighter future for future generations. Yeah, absolutely. I I love what you said about how 
like you have to unlearn what you've been brought up in and how you're still benefiting from the system that is being racist. So even though you yourself might not feel like you're racist, that that makes a major impact. I mean, how can somebody stop that just by speaking out, researching, you know, and I know you said making friends with different individuals. I mean, is there something that you could do like right now that can make a big enough impact to make a difference like as an individual? I think that's a wonderful question. And so you'll get different answers from different people. I really do believe my answer from the experiences that I've had is that we had to look at the bigger picture. You may be feeling as if it's just a pebble, what you're dropping into this huge pond, but that ripple effect gets wider and wider as we continue with the work. And so when you feel like simply just reading a book, oh, that's not enough. It's, it's, Definitely. It's something. It's a step in the right direction. And it gives you an opportunity to bring up conversations in your friend groups. It gives you an opportunity to listen to this podcast. You got more information. Everything that you're doing is a step towards the right direction. And that's why it's like anti-racism work is a journey. There's no end point. You're forever going to be doing this work. Yeah, I like that. And it's, it's like with anything in life, like if everybody had that mindset of, well, this isn't enough, this isn't going to make a difference, then nobody would do anything. And so I think that could have been a big part of why a lot of people that were like so vocal about their anti-racism work in 2020, all of a sudden kind of fell off. Maybe they felt like they weren't making a difference because they didn't feel like they were doing enough or they didn't know what to do. And I do also think that you don't always have to be super vocal about what you're doing. Maybe some people just stopped like talking about it on social media, but are still doing it behind the scenes. But I think no matter what, as long as you are actively working to help make a difference, I I think that that is better than nothing at all and, or better than just saying I'm not racist. And I like what you said a lot about how, you know, you can mention things to your friend group, like, a lot of times my friends probably get so annoyed with me, but I'll point out little things like you shouldn't say that, or you shouldn't do this. Like, here's why. And being that person that can help educate people a little bit more makes you feel like you're making a difference as well. Definitely. And I just feel so safe right now to say this. And if we do need to go back and edit, I feel like when it comes to privilege, it all have different aspects of privilege, including myself. Mm-hmm. is that we are so used to doing something and immediately receiving gratification from that. Mm-hmm. This is different. This is, you might not see the immediacy of it, but whatever work you're putting out there, what, whatever authentic work you're putting out there, there's going to be a great return. And you might not benefit from it, but you're helping, you know, the greater good benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you said that. I think that's beautiful and really important to remember because oftentimes if you are somebody out there that's doing the anti-racism work, it's not about you at all. And I think that's important to remember. Absolutely. And that kind of takes me into the next topic I want to talk about, which is allyship, right? Like we're talking about this anti-racism work and you know, people, you hear people talk all the time about like being allies and what does allyship really mean? And I, I would love for you to kind of dive into the difference between true allyship and then performative allyship. Yes. 
So I'm going to go out on limb and say, I don't believe in allyship. Myself, I identify as a cis hetero woman. I cannot go out into the world and say that I am an ally of the LGBTQI space because for me, um, there's something that I don't know. There's going to be some blind spots. And I hate, you know, trying to say that I am doing something when maybe it is not enough. So um, with that, I'm always being checked by friends in queer spaces because that's what I need. And that's what I mentioned earlier, like going out there and finding people who can check you, finding friends and they're like, yeah, that ain't cool, man. I think that's so important to name. So when it does come to allyship, I really, I don't like the term, even when it's like, oh, well, true allyship. Um, I think right now people are saying in the therapist space that they are friendly so they'll put like LGBTQIA friendly or queer friendly or anything like that. I think that's um, something that people are moving towards. I think that might be something to look at in the future. Um, but if we were to name performative allyship, it would be, you know, someone had back in 2020, people were like blacking out their mm -hmm. squares. That's performative because mm -hmm. what else did you do? I'm not sure. You might have done something else, but that was totally performative and it didn't do much. Some of the huge corporations that we have, they're performative. You know, you're talking a good game. You're saying that you're going to do this from now on, but are you really actually putting your money where your mouth is and funding grassroots organizations? And if I were to name like a true allyship situation, it would be going into grassroots organizations and listening, not actually using your voice to tell someone what they could do, but probably just asking them, well, how can I help in this situation? What do you need to see from me? And being prepared to actually get, you know, something from that that maybe you might not like. You have to sit with that discomfort. But I think that if you really are trying to be a true ally, sitting with discomfort is something that we got to name. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And I feel like, you know, you mentioned privilege earlier and for so many people, you know, in, in my life and my little bubble, like middle-aged white women, like we have had so much privilege to not have to sit in discomfort very often in our lives. And personally, like that was something that I really wanted to change for myself because this is so important to me and speaking up about topics like this are so important to me and being a safe space for women in any walk of life, in any, you know, any woman I want to be there for, and I want to be uncomfortable and have these conversations and let other people hear it. And I think that that idea of not having to sit in discomfort is so huge. And I'm so happy that you said that because people hate being uncomfortable and they avoid what makes them uncomfortable. And that's yeah. such a big part of the problem is avoiding what makes you uncomfortable. You named it. I agree yes. with you. <laughs> yes. I, I love it. So I know we talked about a lot, <laughs> a lot of, and, and not a lot of time. And I guess before we kind of move on to the fun stuff here on the show, if somebody is struggling with going into childbirth, the care that they're getting during their pregnancy, the mental effects that come with having either being pregnant or having a new baby, and they feel like they're not being represented in the way that they should, what advice could you give them today? 
Yes. So the approach can be a couple of different situations, like we've named for the entire podcast. Um, one, you could advocate for yourself if you feel comfortable. I know a lot of people, they don't quite feel comfortable, so that might not be something that they could do. You can also, if you can, look for a doula. There are a lot of scholarship programs out there now that would provide a doula for you, if not free of charge, maybe at a discount rate. I know for myself, with my second born, I couldn't afford, um, I thought I couldn't afford a doula. And what I did was I searched for a doula in training and that was cheaper, it was at a cheaper mm. rate. So there's that. Um, there are a lot of organizations right now that will list the opportunities that they have if you were to search for a doula association group. And I think we can also put links in your show note if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, I would say you can also just ask if you do have the opportunity. I know that sometimes we're just in, I'm in a small town, so I understand they're not many opportunities to switch to a different provider. But if you feel like you can go ahead and say that you would like to have a different provider and see if that will help. Hmm. Yeah, those are all really great tips. Thank you so much for sharing that. So before we move on to my favorite segment of the show, I have one more question that we ask all of our guests. And you obviously are an incredible boss lady. The work that you do is amazing and you're a mama. So if you could give one piece of advice to balance business and motherhood, what would that advice be? My advice would be to schedule in your, your self-care. You really do have to schedule it in. Um, I understand with small babies, like my own babies, they don't sleep through the night. So you might get up and everything that you had planned goes out the window. <laughs> but if you can make sure you do have that space maybe an hour or two on your schedule that is just for you also if it is not possible just 10 minutes out of an hour for yourself is good I like that so much I think that we forget to do that very often as mamas like business and babies take over everything and that always falls to the back burner and I think that's a really good reminder so thanks for sharing that too all right so here we are, my favorite part of the show. We're going to lighten things up a little bit. We're going to share your hot mess moment. So life is full of hot messes. We've all had them. This is your chance to share an embarrassing confession about a time that you've been a total hot mess. Oh, it was just a hot mess like an hour ago. Um, we're <laughs> all at home right now. We're all at home right now, quarantining. And my two-year-old came up to the door while I was in session with a client and I was just like, I am so sorry, please forgive me. He escaped his dad. And um, she was like, oh, you hear me all the time. So it's cool. You, you know, so I think it's great that I get to work with moms because I think we all understand. So that was totally my hot mess moment. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So many of us can relate to that. Like That is life right now, right? During this pandemic and just, mm -hmm. oh my gosh. Yes. I love it. Well, I'm glad your client was understanding too. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we are going to wrap things up. So why don't you, before we go, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you. And then we'll make sure that we drop your links and all of the resources that you provided. Um, and then are you taking on patients right now? You can tell us everything that you got going on. 
Yes, thank you for that. So you can find me on Instagram at Arise Counseling. That's A-R-I-S-E Counseling. Um, I also am starting a new moms group. I call it Moms of Multiples because I understand that it can be a bit different and difficult with more than one at the same time. Uh, that's starting January 22nd. So if you are a resident and you are in the state of Alaska, I would love to have you. We are going to be centering diversity. I just need to have that disclaimer out there as well. And yes, I am taking new clients. If you want, you can visit my website and we can leave that also as you said in the show notes. And that's all I have. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. It's been so amazing chatting with you. I've loved this conversation so much and I love everything that you're doing. I think you're amazing and I'm so glad that I met you. And so thank you so much for coming on. And until next time, you've got this mamas, stay bossy. Thank you for listening to Boss Ladies and Babies. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate, review, and leave us some feedback. Make sure you follow us on social at Boss Ladies and Babies. Join the conversation in our private Facebook group and check out everything we have to offer like community, coaching, merch, and more at bossladiesandbabies.com. And until next time, stay bossy. Hey mama, is this you? Desperately searching for people who understand what you're going through as a mom-owned business owner? Battling major overwhelm with all of the tasks business and mom life throw your way? Feeling like there just isn't enough time in the day, but happy there isn't because you're so freaking exhausted? Struggle with being fully present? Are you thinking about work when you're with your family and thinking about your family while you're working? Are you losing yourself while caring for everyone else and pouring from that infamous empty cup? Have you dreamed of growing your business and ditching the side hustle, but you're afraid that people won't take you seriously if they know you're a mom? I've been there. In fact, I'd venture to say any mom business owner has. And you know what makes this special? You aren't alone. And I want to tell you all about Boss Ladies and Babies Headquarters, because I have created a space just for you. I wish I had something like this when I became a mom. I was terrified about how I was going to balance everything I wanted to do. I'd been an entrepreneur my whole life, and I also wanted to be home with my baby. I was convinced that people would lose respect for me if they knew I was a mother, and that I would have to hide this huge part of myself to be seen as a professional. I was struggling so hard with finding the time to complete my to-do list without burning myself out. And I thought that I had to put my dreams on hold and keep them small so I could be there for my family. No one, and I mean no one, was talking about raising babies and building businesses. I was isolated, alone, and defeated. So I felt called to change this, and I created my own safe space for boss ladies with babies. And I don't just mean infants. Our children will always be our babies. And a place full of support resources, and community to help each other break the mold, create a new culture, and make our biggest dreams come true, all while being the mamas that we've dreamed of being. I created Boss Ladies and Babies Headquarters just for you. You don't have to do this alone. You can have it all. Overwhelm is not a job requirement, and there is such a thing as balance when you get to choose how you create it. I want to tell you a little bit about Boss Ladies and Babies Headquarters and see if this is the community you've been looking for. You'll be surrounded by a community of like-minded women who understand what you're going through. 
you will learn to discover how to create unique balance in your life and manage your time in a way that works for you. And you will build your authority as a boss lady by creating a solid identity and business foundation for your life and business. There are monthly trainings and workshops with interactive worksheets inside of this community, as well as monthly ideation hours and Q&A, monthly networking events, weekly accountability, weekly inspiration, and unlimited connection and interactions with like-minded women who get it. There's also a ton of bonuses included and so many benefits. I could talk about this all day. So if you are interested in becoming a member of Boss Ladies and Babies Headquarters, check out the link in the show notes.